Thank you so much. Okay. Well, as we've been reading this week, we've been reading into uh, uh, 1 Samuel, and we, uh, well, the interesting part is this week we started with 1 Samuel 16, and uh, 1 Samuel 16 is a very interesting chapter within the book of 1 Samuel, uh, because there are, um, chapter 16 is directly in the very center of 1 Samuel. Uh, chapter 16, there's there's 15 chapters after, there's 15 chapters before, and it's right in the center. And it's very pivotal, because of the first 16 chapters, we get a lot of Samuel, hence the name First Samuel. It's, it's the book of Samuel, but we, we, we see a lot of Samuel in there. And obviously we see him dealing with Saul as the first king, but then we get to First Samuel 16. And it's so pivotal, and it's amazing if you look at the, the book, that 16 being the center, you see the switch. That after uh, 1 Samuel 16, we, we don't see much of Samuel. We see David and Saul. And um, at the end of the chapter, um, Samuel goes home. He goes back to Ramah. And we don't see much of him the rest of the book, but we see... We see David and we see Saul. And the, the, there's lots of times they're together. There's other times they're in different areas. And we see um, Saul happy with David. Then we see Saul not happy with David. We see um, David within the kingdom serving. But then we also see him running for his life. And so all of this is started in verse 16. So I thought today that we would read and do uh, 1 Samuel 16. And 1 Samuel 16, for those of you that have ever been in seminary, there are literary cues when you look, read um, the Bible. And one of those literary cues is called an inclusio. So you got your seminary training for today. It's called an inclusio. An inclusio is a literary way of something is mentioned at the beginning and at the end of a section and they're like bookends, and they sort of keep things um, together. And so we see two inclusios, the first, and then the middle of chapter 16, and then right after that, and then the end, and those, those two are this. So the very first, uh, the very first uh, verse of chapter 16 talks about the horn of oil, anointing oil, that, that Samuel is to have. And then when we get to... Uh, verse 13, we see the horn of oil again. And so those are the inclusive, those are the bookmarks for that section. And then we see the departing of the Lord's spirit um, and the inclusion of the evil spirit. That is found in, in verse 14 and then at the very end of the chapter. So we have two inclusives, two bookends. So chapter 16 is divided into two sections. And so the first one is David being anointed and being made the next king. And then we see um, the Lord de departing from Saul. And um, the Holy Spirit is with David, and the Holy Spirit is not with Saul. And so very uh, chapter 16, super important in the whole story. So let's just dive in to 1 Samuel. Uh, 
chapter 16, and we're going to read the first 13 verses, and we're going to point out some things, and then we'll we'll launch into the second half. Are you ready? Do you have your Bibles out? Do you have your um, your Bible or your book or um, your phone? Whatever it takes, but be looking at it. Okay, so here we go. Starting in verse 1, the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said, and when he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, Do you come in peace? Samuel replied, Yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shemua pass by. But Samuel said, Now, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons passed before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. And Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise, anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. Okay, so this is the first 13 uh, verses of chapter 16. And so we see a lot going on here. So I just want to point out a few things to you here. First of all, um, God talks to Samuel and he says, How long will you mourn for Saul? There is a time to mourn, but there is also a time to move on. And we see here that Samuel, in his humanness, is really broken. It really took a toll of him that God rejected Saul because of his disobedience. And he was literally mourning for Saul. And that has incapacitated him to not do anything. And so now um, God gets Samuel's attention and says, you need to be doing things. Don't just sit here and mourn. 
He tells him to do something. It's a command. Fill your horn with oil. And that must have um, shaken Samuel up because he knew that God wanted him to anoint someone else as king over Israel. And then, um, important point here. God will never allow his work to die. With the, with the death or failure of a man, or if it's God's work, it goes beyond any man. Perhaps Samuel was paralyzed with mourning because of Saul's tragic rebellion. But you know what? God wasn't paralyzed. He was still working. He says, I'm sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Israel's next king would be found among his sons. And if you remember in our study of Ruth, Jesse is the grandson of Boaz and Ruth. Which means David is the great-grandson of Boaz and Ruth. A, um, a lineage that shows you know, Ruth's faithfulness, even though he, she wasn't even a natural Jew. And Boaz's um, willingness to obey God. This is a great family. And so... Um, Jesse is part of that, and his sons as well. So then Samuel says really something interesting. Was, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. I think we can understand um, Samuel's fear. Um, there isn't any doubt that Saul would have considered this treason for him to go and anoint another king. At the same time, it shows a note of fear in Samuel that almost surprises us why Samuel's always been so faithful and has always seen God and, and acted regardless of what anybody else said yet at this point he's I'm afraid I'm going to die and so perhaps Samuel's excessive mourning over Saul introduced an element of fear and unbelief in his heart Samuel didn't have anything to worry about because God promises him, I will show you what to do. Now let me stick pause here. This has been a time, these last couple of months, where there's been a lot of fear around. I've noticed a lot of fear among his people and people in general. Um, you, you watch the news accounts and you see a lot of panic. There's a lot of people frozen in fear, whether they're staying in their house and they're just scared to come across anybody. Um, this last week I, I went to the grocery store and uh, I was waiting in line to get in and I was standing there and I looked around and I was the only one without a mask and and people were just looking at me and they were like oh, he doesn't have a mask on what is going on with him You know, and it was just there was so much fear and you know, you're walking down the aisles and people are clearing the way for you. They're just, there's just so much fear. And let's, I know there's a lot of stuff to be concerned about, but you know what? Fear is not something that uh, a Christian needs to be familiar with. Okay? Because God loves us, God protects us, and um, His way is always right. So, just thought I'd throw that out there for you. Um, and then you notice that Samuel is going to go and then God tells him, well take a heifer and just tell him you're going to do a sacrifice. You're not going to give 
all of the truth, but you're going to give some truth. And so, was God telling Samuel to lie? Um, not at all. This was strictly true. Samuel did offer a sacrifice, and it does not appear that he could have done the work which God designed unless he had offered this sacrifice. And he called the elders of the people together and then collected Jesse's sons. But he did not tell the principal design of his coming. That was left for God. Had he done so, there might have been some more evil and um, no good to come of uh, Saul becoming aware of what Samuel was actually doing there. Now, let's, let's also remember this. Years before this, Israel rejected the Lord as their king. And they wanted a human king instead. So God gave them a human king after their own desire. But God was still on the throne. Crowning who he pleased as he pleased. And the simple fact was that God, he did rule Israel. And they, they could recognize his rule. They could submit to it and enjoy the benefits. That's what Samuel did. Or they could resist his reign over Israel and suffer because of it. And that's what happened in Israel because of Saul. It does not matter what my attitude toward God is as far as it affects his ultimate victory. God's will will always be achieved. The question is, do I want to be a part of God's will or will I be working contrary to God's will? And that's the important question. The Lord is God and King and will always triumph. But my attitude matters a great deal because it affects my ultimate destiny. Whew! I know, heavy stuff. In fact, so the next part he says, um, God tells Samuel, you shall anoint for me the one I named to you. The first king of Israel, Saul, was anointed for the people. He was, he was the king that you got from central casting. He was the one that you picked. You were looking around for what, who looks like a king. Saul was the one who looked like a king. He was the kind of king that the people wanted. Now that the people's choice, Saul, had failed and disqualified himself, now it was God's turn. And the Lord says, it's time for a king for me. Wow! God was going to show Israel his king. And then Samuel goes, and um, Jesse's sons are brought before him. And as soon as Samuel sees the oldest, Eliab, he says, Oh, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. And as Samuel looked at the oldest son, he thought, This man sure looks like a king. This must be the one. God will tell me to anoint. And that's a good choice, God. But then God says, No. No. Do not look at his appearance or the height of his stature because I have refused him. Listen, the amazing thing we see here is there are two types of seeing. Notice, when, when, remember when Saul is um, looking for his father's donkeys and his servant tells him, let's go to the seer in town. 
the seer was Samuel. He was a prophet. He sees the way God sees. And he that's how he's able to predict the future because God sees everything. He knows the intention of people and Samuel uses this in many ways and oftentimes he comes in conflict with, with Saul because he sees what Saul's really doing. Even though Saul throws up his defense, oh, I was sacrificing, I'm going to, all these uh, sheep, we're going to sacrifice to the Lord. He could see right through it. But during this time, Samuel doesn't see correctly. Because again, he's looking like a man. He's seeing as a man does. And God calls him to the quick and he says, man looks at the appearance. But God looks at the heart. So even though Eliab was the son of Jesse, he's in the right lineage and all of that is going on. He says, I have rejected him. Can you imagine? God is going through all of Israel and he is seeing whose heart is wholly devoted to God. And that was the one who he was going to choose as king. And so we go through all of the, the sons, and he gets to the seventh son, and Sam was like, okay, all of these have been rejected. Um, Jesse, do you have any more sons? Oh yeah, I've got this, the youngest one. He's keeping the sheep. And that is the one that turns out to be David. Wow. Okay. So the man, Lord does not see as the man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. This is both a statement of fact. That God looks at the heart rather than looking at appearance like man does. It's also an exhortation for godly thinking. So, a statement of fact. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Even the best of men will look at outward appearance. At the moment, Samuel was guilty of this. We must understand that we can't read the secrets of another's heart. We often do only judge on outward appearance. Listen, there are people that I've known that's been in, the, in our congregation that I just thought were, were great people. And they were awesome. But over time, they've, they've turned away from the Lord and they've gone their own way. Huh, I never saw that coming. Because I was looking at the outward appearance. You know, God says that we are to, as we act, because we, we, people are looking at us, it's by our actions that we can see if we really love God or not. And that's a good question for you. You say you love God? Are, are you? Are you doing what God wants you to do? The second is an exhortation of godly thinking. God told Samuel, Your natural inclination is to only judge on outward appearance, but I can judge the heart that you can't see. So look to me, and don't be so quick to judge a person only their outward appearance. God is calling Samuel to see again the way God sees. Samuel needed to know his natural inclination to judge only on outward appearance, but he didn't have to give in to it. He could seek the Lord and seek the God's heart and mind when looking at people. Wow. Mm. So, that being said, David is anointed 
And I'm, I'm fairly convinced that only Samuel, David, maybe his father, but everybody else, the elders and his brothers, were clueless about what this anointing was all about. I, I think to a certain extent, David may have been a little bit clueless, but as soon as the Holy Spirit came upon him when the oil was on his head, David knew that he was destined to be the next king. That's some heavy stuff. Um, we believe that this time that uh, David was probably anywhere between 10 to 15 years old. And he knew that he was going to be king. <sighs> That's heavy stuff. And so at that point, Samuel is done with what he needs to do. He's anointed the next king. He goes home. He's done. Then where does David go? It appears that David goes back to the sheep. He's, he's still faithful to what his God, his God and his father expects him to do. How do we know that? Because the rest of 1 Samuel 16. Let's read 14 through 23. So these 10 verses. Now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Remember, this is the first part of the second inclusio. Saul's attendant said to him, See, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command his servant here to search for someone who can play the lyre. He will play when the evil spirit from God comes on you, and you will feel better. So Saul said to his attendants, Find someone who plays well and bring him to me. And one of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse, of Bethlehem, who knows how to play the lyre. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine-looking man, and the Lord is with him. Then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey, loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent them with his son David to Saul. David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his armor bearers. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, saying, Allow David to remain in my service, for I am pleased with him. Whenever the Spirit from God came on Saul... David would take up his lyre and play, and then relief would come to Saul, and he would feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. A few things on this, this section, which is just amazing. So, even though David is anointed, he doesn't like, okay, start assuming the throne. No, he goes back to tending his sheep, and that's exactly where Saul finds him. And listen to the way the servant described the son of Jesse. I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well, is fine looking, and the Lord is with him. This servant, unknowingly, is describing the next king of Israel. What would you want for them? He's, he's, he's a warrior. He's a brave man. He speaks well. He's fine looking. 
And the Lord is with him. All of the things that are important for kingship are all wrapped up into there. And it's interesting is that David goes back to tending his sheep for because his father wants him to do. His father tells him to go to see Saul. He gets up and goes. Later on in the next chapter when David and Goliath, again, David is tending the sheep and his son, I mean, his father says, go to the lines and bring this food to your brothers who are in, who are soldiers in Saul's army. He's in obedience. So David is faithful in the small things. And God allows him to get bigger things to be faithful of. Man, that's, that's amazing. And so we, we, let's look at David for a few minutes, if you don't mind. David, he was so small in, um, in his father's esteem that he wasn't even considered necessary to include him in the family when the prophet of God called them to sacrifice. He just kind of... He brought all of his other sons. When we consider that David was the youngest of eight sons, we we aren't surprised at the low regard he had in his own family. It wasn't because David's character or conduct was unworthy. It was simply because he was the youngest of eight sons. He wasn't considered probably an adult yet. God often chooses unlikely people to do his work so that, so that all know that the work is God's work and not man's work. And listen, you may not be uh, intellectual or, um, or well thought of in, even in your own family circle. You may be despised by others because of your faith in Christ. Perhaps you have only just a little share of the love of your parents, as David did. But remember that those who are rejected of men often become beloved of the Lord. And at that point, it's interesting to know that David, the word David, means beloved or loved. Wow. God in his, uh, his providence sees this happening long before it even happens. He's seen. So David was called for this great anointing when he was out keeping the sheep. David simply did his job and was faithful in the small things and what his father told him to do. Keeping the sheep. Keeping the sheep was a servant's job, really. The fact that David was out keeping the sheep showed that... um, Jesse's family probably wasn't wealthy. Because they were if they were wealthy, a servant would be the one keeping the sheep. They were not affluent enough to have servants. So not only is David being forgotten in his own family, this is a this is not a wealthy family. This is not a family of notoriety. This is a family that has to do things their own way because they don't have the servants to help. Keeping the sheep meant you had Time to think. And so David probably had a lot of time. Thinking, looking over the sheep, looking at God, the glory of God's creation. God built in him a heart to sing about his glory and creation.
creation. If you look at the psalm, Psalm 8, Psalm 19, those are great examples of David singing to God because he's observed creation and knowing this was God's creation. Keeping the sheep took a special um, heart, a special care. It meant you knew how sheep needed the care and the help of a good shepherd. And God was um, your shepherd. During these years, God built in David the heart that would sing about the Lord as his shepherd. Who doesn't know Psalm 23? Keeping the sheep meant you had to trust God in the midst of danger. Later on, we find out that David had to contend with lions and bears and wolves to contend with all the sheep that had to be protected. Let me tell you something. David's years in keeping the sheep was not a waiting time. They were a training time. This was the time where God trained him to be the leader that God wanted him to be for his people. David was a great man and a great king over Israel because he never lost his shepherd's heart. If you look at Psalm uh, 78, Psalm 78 speaks of the connection between David as king and David as shepherd. Wow! And we're going to be reading much more about David in these next few weeks and months, and um, never forget that David never forgot that he was a shepherd of people. Even as a matter of fact, when he is accused um, by Nathan the prophet when he um, goes away with Bathsheba in an illicit affair, Nathan uses shepherd imagery to convict David. And it's always on David's heart. So I have a few questions for you to be able to talk amongst the people with which you are um, with right now in your home or with somebody else. Listen, here's some questions for you. And write these down if you will. The first question is, um, I would say it's more of a uh, rhetorical question, but it's something to think about. The first question is, how do you think God sees you? Well, let me give you a clue. God sees you a very specific way if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. If you have made Him the Lord and Savior of your life, God sees you a specific way. And it's a verse I used back in Good Friday. One of my favorite verses of all time. It's 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Listen, when we've accepted what Christ did on the cross, when we choose to make Him the Lord and Savior of our life, God sees you through Jesus. You know, you've heard the expression, someone who looks at things and they see just the the rosy appearance of things, they look through rose-colored glasses. Well, when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, and you accepted what God has done, what Jesus has done, 
and you allow him to be the Lord and Savior of your life. God looks at you through Jesus' colored glasses. Because he sees what he's done. So that you might be the righteousness of God. Praise God for that. Right? Alright, so we have a couple of um, uh, questions that you need to be for our discussion. So, do you see yourself differently than God sees you? And this could be this could be a positive, or this could be a negative. First of all, you might be seeing yourself as, well, you know, I'm not very good at things, and uh, I'm, I'm kind of unworthy, and I don't think God could ever use me. Maybe God sees you differently, and He wants you to be doing something, but you don't see yourself as someone who's capable with God to be able to accomplish things. And that's not a good place to be. Second of all, maybe you think too highly of yourself. I'm great. But then God is saying, no, I can't use you because you think you're going to be using your own strength and not relying upon me. And be, maybe this is a time for you to be more humble. Okay, God, I'll do what you want me to do rather than what I want to do. So that, that's a very kind of a tricky question, but this is a time for you to, to look. Okay, I'm reading the scriptures what does this mean to me? And one of those questions is, do you see yourself differently than God sees you? And the second question here is this. How can you change your seeing to the way God sees? In many ways, Samuel saw as God saw. And there were times he, well, he didn't. How can we, as a believer in Jesus Christ, start seeing the way God sees. Because I think you can. But there are some very specific ways to do it. And that would be great for a wonderful time for discussion amongst the people within you are viewing this with. Is to think, how can I see as God sees? It's very important. And the Holy Spirit is completely involved in that. So we, I'm going to pray over you and with you. And uh, then you can have the rest of your day for discussion and fellowship with those you love. Listen, I love you guys. I miss you guys so much. I can't tell you how much this campus misses you. I'm longing for the day that we can come together again and talk and touch and, and, and walk amongst each other in, in fellowship and brotherly love. Father God, we come before you. We ask, Lord, that you will do something amazing soon and very soon that we can come together physically as a body of Christ and we can love each other and serve each other in so many ways. Father God, this time has been a time of drought. We've had to look to you to complete us, to help us, Lord. Help us to be the people of God during this time. Lord, take away our fear. Help us to be bold. Help us to be used by you in many ways as we serve the people around us. Lord, help us to be different than the world. Help us to be the people of God who you can use for your purpose. Thank you, Lord, for, this, for your word. Thank you for this time. I ask, Lord, that you will bless these people. That you will protect them, bless them. Allow them to continue to live their lives that gives your name a good name. 
It's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen.